Welcome to the Wild Brews Coffee and Conservation Podcast. I'm your host, PB, and today we are diving into zoos. What makes them good? And what makes them bad? How are animals cared for? And where do they come from? And what happens when penguins cheat? To tell you the answers to all these questions and more, I am joined by a very special guest, Dan Holland. Dan Holland has his Bachelor's of Science in Animal Science from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, his Master's of Animal Welfare Science at University of Glasgow, and has worked as a zookeeper in a few zoos. I asked Dan what his favorite animals were, and he said it was a toss-up between doles, tigers, and his dog. And he made it clear that he's pretty partial to any animal that's orange. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. When you first told me doles, I had never heard of them before. I thought yep. you were like, I thought it was a slang for dingo, like a devil. I'm like, that's rude, but okay. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, wow, those are beautiful. So yeah. if you don't know what a dole is, Dan, what is a dole? It's a small Asianic wild dog, and they have a bunch of different names. They range over parts of India, parts of China, a little bit of Pakistan. And they're just tiny, like 20, 30-pound orange dogs that kind of are rude to everything in the jungle <laughs> but i love the fact that they'll like harass asian elephants for fun that's and that's just as amazing and is and that's like the first thing i ever saw about them and it's like i need to meet them and they're <laughs> they're just great have you got to work with them before no i've never oh, been no. at a facility with them um but it, it's on the list or at least i want to see one before i die Fair enough. I When I was looking them up to figure out what they were, they whistle instead of yeah. bark. That is yeah. just the coolest thing. So if you don't know what a dole is, please look it up on YouTube because it will make your life that much more magical. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Dan, with your extensive background and your amazing, amazing assortment of animal pictures, I am really excited to uh, ask you all these questions about zoos, animal care, and at the end, we have a ton of listener questions. Um, zoos are really popular, and they're also pretty controversial yep. um they're either you're either on the camp of like we need zoos so that people can experience nature and we can care about it or you're wildly against zoos there's like animals belong in nature and it's cruel and and whatnot so i'm super curious to get all of your um experience and know-how on this topic so to begin <laughs> what got you into the animal world and what was your first introduction into conservation i will say it's probably again it's a toss-up i I just know the very first thing I can remember is my dog. Uh, she was a black lab named Rosie. And I just remember, like, being on a hill uh, somewhere in Alabama, and we were picking out a puppy, and that's the, one, the first thing I remember. Uh, and then in my family, one side of my family raises quarter horses, so whenever we'd go back to Kansas, I'm a bored kid. I'm just going to go look at the horses and pet the horses and be like these are gigantic and awesome and that was great yeah and then i think i was like f six or seven and i read the first animorph book and i was like this is great <laughs> yes and then i oh read the gosh. entire series and i was like oh crap i like animals i hope there's money in this i was wrong <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later kids yep. um so you're like you're a kid and you're like i love animals and i'm super excited when was your when was your first experience with a zoo do you remember uh yeah uh i'm not sure if it was the first time i went to a zoo but it's the first time i was like wow this is amazing and it was uh we went to the baltimore aquarium in maryland 
walking across like that those float at a floating walkway there was just a bunch of jellyfish in the water that year and it was like this is slightly terrifying but amazing With and the then, moon jellies yeah the moon jellies. And then there was a, like, you just go in through the aquarium where they have the big, like, pathway in the dark where there's the sharks in it and the big eco-dome where it's like, this is a jungle in the middle of Maryland and it was very confused and this is awesome. And it was, like, warm being, I was like a small child who was cold because it was outside. But yeah, it was great. And I was like, these are fantastic and Oh, I mean, there was a dolphin show, and that was a little problematic, but thankfully, people have learned better. <laughs> okay, so you're this young kid who loves animals, and you've been to this aquarium. Did you watch, like, the Crap Brothers and Zaboomafu growing up, and, like, Steve Irwin? Oh, and, like... Steve Irwin, yes. Other ones, like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> okay, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's but... okay. Us uh, PBS kids, I got you. Um, yeah. Zaboomafu is... Zaboomafu! It's a walking in the woods one day... So now you're graduating high school and you're like, I am presented with these paths. Like, where, where does that take you? Uh, originally, I was like, what do you do to work with animals? So I was like, vet. I have good grades. Let's go to vet school. First university I went to was not the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The first university I went to is Cal State San Bernardino in California, uh, who lied about saying they had a vet or animal <laughs> science program. Gosh. Um, could I didn't get it in writing, so I can't prove it, but uh, oh well. <laughs> and then because I was in the Cal State system, I did get GEs and try mm. to transfer into another school. That school canceled enrollment for animal science. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. So I was like, okay, out-of-state tuition it is. Went to University of Nebraska-Lincoln one weekend for a tour. I was like, I don't have to fight people for a spot in a class? <laughs> <laughs> yes. This We have an entire building for this department? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is uh, a mythological class that you saw, like, the back of the library. Yeah. It actually exists. But I was so, like, burned out with education. I was like, I don't have grades for vet school anymore. Let's just go for animal science. Got my degree. Did some real gross stuff. But I was like, okay, let's let's go try to work at a zoo when I got done. Okay, you can't just, like, did some real gross stuff and be like, actually, moving on. Like what? You got to give some example. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, all the dissections we had to do oh, yeah. were just like, okay, this is gross. I'm, like, mm-hmm. inside the side of a cow and... This is fun, and it's like, okay, I'm got my arm inside of a live couch, seeing if it's pregnant by oh yeah, lubing up the glove and <laughs> yeah. This may smell bad, kid. But it'll keep you warm. I went second on that, so thankfully I wasn't the one who got stuck. We had to pull her out, and. Uh, yeah. Oh my. <laughs> oh yeah. My gosh. Yeah. Like you passed. Like yeah. you graduated. <laughs> I got my degree. Uh, started volunteering at the LA Zoo. That was great. Hadn't figured out audiobooks or podcasts yet, so it was a really boring drive. Did that for a bit. They invited me to the keeper training course. Did that. Passed that. No job opportunities because, yeah, City Zoo, um, which. 
for the city of LA, you're in the union, you get good pay, right. good health benefits. Can't fault them for that, you know, is what it yeah. is. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not going to drive 160 miles uh, a couple times a week anymore. A little expensive. That, yeah, yeah, in California? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no thanks. I mean, it was a little bit cheaper gas back then. <laughs> then I decided, let's get a master's degree. But I didn't want to th GRE because that sounded boring. And so I was like, hey, what about Europe? Grad school is one year. Really? In Europe, it's one year? Yeah, my master's degree took one year, and it was actually cheaper than any paid grad school options in That's America. Crazy. So I was like, I'll live in Scotland for a year. Yeah, dude. Let's <laughs> be the, serious here. Scotland. And then, yeah, and my school looked like a... Um, Cert, like it probably inspired certain problematic uh, fantasy series books that we don't really talk about anymore. But, That's okay. Yeah. The, I mean, did you at least take a chance to like stroll through one of those hallways with a giant cloak at least? Uh, I mean, when I had graduated, yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. I, right. I, at I least you did it once. Had yeah. to, yes. Um, But Scotland was great. Got my master's of animal law for science, ethics, and law. And what animal were you working with for your grad project? Uh, Almer tigers. Uh, well, wow. it, one was an Almer tiger, one was an Almer Bengal tiger from a, but they were from a Romanian zoo, Romanian circus, but then lived mm -hmm. in Scotland. But I mean, I've never worked with healthier tigers. They were 18, 19 at the time I was working with them, but they were active. They had good body condition. Uh, like, they still climbed the trees in their enclosure. Wow. Um, but, I mean, they were great. <sighs> Super and healthy what behavior animals. were you looking for for your grad project? Like, what, um, was, what was the... Oh, uh, I made an ethogram, which is just a list of behaviors and actions that you can observe, like, walking, climbing, sleeping, because, you know, it's a cat. Uh, scent marking, going to the bathroom, sniffing, mating, anything you can think of. Like, I... If I see them do it once, I'll put it on the list, and then I'll just mark it down. I think I had, like, mm -hmm. 20 different behaviors on mine. And I just, I took the one I made, I compared it to historical ones, mm -hmm. uh, compared it to just for wild and captive tigers. Stood out in the rain once an hour for 10 minutes, and like, what are they doing every 30 seconds? And then, you know, are the keepers outside? Because, I mean, if you see a yeah. person who brings you food, maybe you pay a little more attention to what they're doing. So, you know. Right. So that's cool. That's a really, that's actually a really cool grad project. Um, Thank you. Yes. While Glasgow has a lot of stabbings, they care very deeply about stray dogs, <laughs> and will like shut down air, like roadways and like help any stray dog because like we don't have those here. <laughs> yeah, I love Scotland. I've been there once, but I we didn't really do it for animal school. It's like a student ambassador yeah. program, so they were mostly like, let's take them to the, let's take these young children to haunted places. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Um, anyway, so yeah. that's crazy. So like, you're getting your master's in Europe, and I'm assuming that this ant, the like, the laws and care can't be that different than like America, or are they? Like, mm. I know the standards of care are way different at European zoos. But as yeah. far as, like, education goes, is it, like, what are your thoughts? There's no easy way to get into it on a world scale because everyone has a different culture and background mm -hmm. and relationship with animals. Like, in India, there are village dogs, which are just the dogs that are in the village. 
um, and that's a, a thing. Like, here, like, if there was just a pack of wild dogs roaming around, like, people would be concerned, or yeah, I guess it would be Detroit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then, I mean, hell, even the way we, like, food preparation, it's vastly mm -hmm. different depending on where you go, and so trying to find a baseline that everyone can agree on is a, such a complicated issue, and so it, I can understand why it's a big deal all around the world trying to find some way things we can agree upon yeah no and this is a really great point because this really gets to like the heart of why i wanted you on this is talking about standards of care um in an uh, the animals in these zoos and how america has something called the aza and i know europe has something else and yeah. it's that fight to find that common ground of like how do we care for these animals you know, I want your thoughts on what is, or tell listeners, what is the AZA and how does it relate to zoos and why should we care about a zoo being AZA certified in the U.S.? The AZA is the accreditation board for American and a couple of foreign zoos. And they just basically says, here are our baselines. We expect you to do these things at a bare minimum and we're going to check on them. <laughs> and as we've been shown many times over many different fields letting people regulate themselves doesn't always go well especially when there's money involved and it's a charity so it's like eh. mm -hmm. you want everyone to do well but eh. yeah. you gotta check on these people but the right. a the aza basically it used to be it started in 1924 started up trying to just like hey let's make some baseline rules figure out how we do research maybe do a little bit sharing of like our nutrition because this is before the internet you had to mail everything and people still thought cats you know could just toss a mistake and they'd be fine like they found yeah. out from uh what was it i think I believe it was polar bears uh, they realized polar bears were missing something in their food, which was taurine, and they found out polar bears couldn't produce their own taurine, and they're like, hey, we're seeing similar signs in our cats and house cats. And so they started adding taurine and organ meat to big cat and house cat food, and it's like, hey, they're not dying or going blind as often. This is great. That is, that is, that is great. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> So, like, sharing research, the diets, we'll t probably talk about it later, but stud books so you can improve, like, the diver biological diversity of the animals that you have. Because uh, I'm going to say something that a lot of people might not agree with, but inbreeding is gross, you know? <laughs> you don't yeah. say. That is a little yeah. controversial. How dare you? I'm going to have to bleep that out. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan of white tigers because, unfortunately, they're all inbred. And have really lung. yeah i didn't know that i thought that they were just like a hey look that's a genetic anomaly but no apparently kids we have the Habsburg tigers over here yeah it's basically like yeah those mutations can exist mm -hmm. but i mean imagine where tigers come from yeah. if they're all white it messes up with our camouflage they can't right. hunt well except i guess when it's snowing but then that's like the only time it's an advantage so. Yeah, I don't think it snows very much in like Sri Lanka. Yeah, and Just, but I'm gonna throw that out there. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, <laughs> it provides a commission that evaluates zoos. Um, there's a certain period you have accreditation for or certification for, but then once a year, all the animals at an AZA facilities have to have their welfare evaluated. 
They have to get veterinary checks. Uh, they have to show enrichment logs. Uh, when they're getting the accreditation, they have to show physical security of the zoos and the enclosures meet certain dimensional standards, upkeep standards, like water quality, education programs, safety procedures for, say, an ostrich gets out. What do your keepers do? And it's basically just make sure everything is in good working order and they even even the veterinarians on staff because some facilities have a full-time vet or mm -hmm. a lot of them have vets that work some days a week on their own practice and then some days of the week they have them at the zoo because mm -hmm. hey if you do dogs and cats your entire life it's like yo i can work on a komodo dragon that <laughs> okay cool they get excited about that stuff too but then they also have to be evaluated by the AZA as well. And there is a European equivalent, or it's the EAZA, and then there's the WAZA, and then there's a few other organizations out there. But generally, it's like, here's our baseline. Ensure mm -hmm. that the, the animal's needs are being met. Otherwise, you're not on the list for good facilities. They don't. You lose a little bit of advertising. And then, it's right. an, and then also, I don't think you have access to as many breeding uh, options for the stud book because like hey we only give them to AZA facilities because we want to make sure they're kept to a certain level of care right yeah because from I mean, what I understand yeah. and you can confirm this um, I understand is very it can be very difficult to be AZA certified because there's so yeah. much that goes into it is that yeah if you have a non-AZA facility like I mean these are giant places that are mm -hmm. I mean imagine trying to renovate a university like like i've been at a on a campus where it's like hey what's in that building i don't know it's been closed the entire time i've been here now imagine doing that at a place where you have animals and guests and the water and electricity is hooked up to everything else and and then you also have a facility that is the charity so you're not supposed to make monies but you do and you have to use it and it gets real complicated and it and it also costs money to get accredited so if you don't go in with it, the idea of, hey, I want to be an AZA facility, it takes a real long time to get accredited. It's, you have to wait a while before you can try again. And yeah, and then it's a little awkward. It's like, why aren't you accredited anymore? <laughs> I, I did a, a teeny bit of reading just so I wasn't completely out of the dark that some of these like categories are so stinking specific. Okay, he wasn't kidding. If you go to the AZA website, which I will link in the show notes, their accreditation standard paper, book, whatever you want to call it, it's 118 pages long. So yeah, when he says it takes some time to get accredited and it's a lot of money, you have to follow all of those standards. So keep that in mind next time you're going to a zoo. And from what I understand, like people who've accredited the zoo before, they come back to make sure that like, hey, it's either improved or stayed the same, but not gotten worse. And so you have to have like all the stars aligned. Have you been to an animal facility that is generating profit that's not AZA? And have you noticed a difference? And would you be like, oh my gosh, like don't go there, <laughs> zero stars on Google. Okay, I did an internship at a place kind of nearby that was an animal rescue. So it wouldn't be AZA accredited. But if I blew up the organization to the size where they could be, considered for it they would not have been safety hazards were not uh taken into consideration for my well-being so this was like if i made a zoo tycoon zoo when i was like 12 and yeah. like oops the fence is broken what happens okay yeah. <laughs> basically <laughs> no. everybody's first zoo tycoon 
is kind of what we're talking about. I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, it was better than that, I guess. But it mm-hmm. like it was taking away wolves and wolf dogs from people who thought, hey, I should own like twelve wolves and chain them in my yard and charge people to take photos of them. So it was gosh. better. It was a, they were in a better situation than right. that. But like we still had tour groups come in and we'd like let them take photos with some of them and like in full contact with some of them. Some of them like. You know, I was like, hey, this one hates everybody, so don't go in there with them. Uh, normal AZA working things are, hey, if you're in there with a wolf, uh, there's at least two people in at all times. Uh, one of you has, like, a baffle board, which is basically, like, a wooden or plastic shield. But, I mean, they're xenophobic to begin with. They're not going to approach me. Like, yeah. Eh. But it's just basically, like, make sure one person can work while one person's watching because it's, it's safety, you know? Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to be mauled by a wolf, and we don't need Harambe 2.0 yeah. in today's day and age, because we all know what happened after Harambe. Like, the world fell apart, so... Yeah. So keep things at equilibrium. Rip, um, buddy. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, okay, so AZA, very important. Like, yep. I know that AZA on their website, they have, like, a list of zoos. Like, hey, this is accredited, so, you know, if you're interested in visiting a zoo and you're like, is this AZA accredited? You can find that, and you can feel really good about at least going to a zoo that, you know, cares for its animals. Like, yeah. what we it, would consider bare minimum, but I'm sure it's, you know. Yeah, it's like, they're the person who goes and, like, gets the fancy dog, pet food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, not to disparage any non-AZA facilities. It's an expensive undertaking, and you yeah. can do a very good job and not be AZA accredited. Yeah. But uh, easy signs to at a place that you shouldn't give money to is... um. Hey, do they let you ride on the elephant? Do they let you... I mean, there is no situation a random guest should be near an elephant. <laughs> no. That's true. Yeah. Anything else people should be aware of? Like, you know, aside from random crocodiles walking through the zoo? Like, maybe that's not a good idea? Yeah, but... I mean, if it's or sort even of... subtle signs. Like, yeah. there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. Like, what, what should people yeah. be like, I am a zoo sleuth, and your sign is wrong or whatever like what do you look for as an expert if i see anything like hey do you want to pet the big cats or we allow you to like throw random food to our animals without like any kind of supervision or we're gonna let the intern go into this enclosure without telling them what it is you know stuff like that (laughs) um park moment (laughs) Yeah. I, okay. I will say Jurassic Park. I'd still work there if uh, they they offered because I couldn't not. <laughs> um. Okay. So that's really good to know because I don't I don't think a lot of people realize that there is like a national accreditation for zoos and yeah. how important that is. I am super curious because I know that this is kind of like your specialty and especially <laughs> with AZA uh, zoos. Tell me about like your experience with like um, rehab, reintroduction, breeding animal welfare and nutrition stuff like that like the good stuff you see in a zoo and you know the stuff that AZA does that makes it more than just like a zoo experience like it's something bigger than that okay um let's let's talk about animal welfare real quick I I pulled it up because it's been a while since I've gotten to talk about it but um let's do it I know uh, this is your jam okay for animal welfare there's this thing that was created by Britain in 1965 mostly for their farm animals but that was kind of like every animal that they weren't like, this is, you know, a pest. Uh, they create something called the five freedoms. And those are the freedom from hunger and thirst, 
uh, which is pretty self-explanatory. Access to fresh water, given a good diet that is, like, complete and balanced. Freedom from discomfort, which it means, like, appropriate shelter, giving them a good environment, areas where they can rest. Um, and they're just not exposed to the elements, and they can't, like, just knock over their water, or the water is going to freeze if it's too cold. You know, freedom from discomfort. Freedom from pain, injury, and disease, which means if you have an animal you're taking care of, you will rapidly give them treatment or have them in a situation where you can get them diagnosed and you're actively making sure they, you know, can't just, like, run around with the equivalent of scissors, I guess. is Like, you don't have a, an, like, you don't have your dog in a room with, like, knives taped to the table's legs or anything, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then the freedom to express normal behavior. So if you have uh, an enclosure and you have to put a, an Ibex in it, you're not going to put it in an enclosure that was built for a pigeon. Like, no. You, if you're going to have an animal, you build an enclosure for it or you repurpose one that's going to be appropriate for it. It gives them enough room to move around, perform natural behaviors, and allow you to encourage those behaviors. And then the freedom from fear and distress, which means you ensure everything is set up to avoid mental suffering and that you take their mental status into consideration throughout all of your activities. So, like, if you have an animal that is just showing stress signs because of something the guests are doing, something in the enclosure freaks them out, like, I don't know, this giraffe hates the color yellow which would be really awkward, you don't put any reflective surfaces in there, so they can't see themselves. I don't know. We That's have a, a giraffe like that. Oh, gosh. We do. He, he hates hats, he hates sunglasses, and is right by the bat enclosure, so we, nobody's allowed in there, because if the door comes and he sees his reflection, he, he is not a happy camper. He's oh, a wow. Queen. He's, I love him, but he is the pickiest animal. He's worse than my dog, but it's so fun to use that example because I'm like, I actually know that and we are so careful with him. <laughs> oh, there's always one. Uh, well, <laughs> no, they're all dramatic. Like, you spend enough time around one animal, like, I'm look my dog's looking at me because I'm, I'm about to throw shade at her, but she, <laughs> she, I mean, she sits, she stays, she comes on her turn. She doesn't make a mess in the house. She comes and finds me whenever she vomits something. That's she has, like a host of food allergies but if the weather is not perfect outside she's just sleeps in the bed and then looks at me longingly like why won't you fix the weather if it's too hot the sun is too bright turn it down if it's too dark outside turn on the sun now imagine doing that for however many species are at a zoo and each one of them eventually you learn their tics and their habits and their dramatic traits and Okay, quick recap for those of us with ADHD brains. The five freedoms. Freedom from hunger and thirst. Freedom from discomfort. Freedom from pain, injury, or disease. Freedom to express normal behavior. And freedom from fear and distress. Which, honestly, I think should be the five freedoms for working at a workplace. But that's just me. So, I know yeah. that this is a little off topic, but I'm super curious. Like, what is the most dramatic animal you've ever worked with besides your dog? Oh, um, <laughs> when I was at the Lincoln Children's Zoo, was it, uh, last year as a zookeeper apprentice, I got to work with the penguins. And they're Humboldt penguins, so they're used, you know, it's a warmer climate, because uh, it's Humboldt penguins in South America. So, you know, yay, they're fine in the heat. But, you know, penguins don't actually mate for life all the time. 
Oh, oh, we have the Real yeah. Housewives of Penguin coming up. Is that what I'm? Yeah. Doing? Oh my. Yeah. I don't. I'm not gonna name any names because they actually <laughs> do have names. But one of them, uh, his mate decided she was done with him, and chose a different one. And then he would not appreciate that. So when they would come out of the boxes in the morning, because they had a like an indoor outdoor enclosure, the indoor ones had little like cubbies they could go into so they could you know have access to the outside pool but be inside she would go in with the new male and he would sit outside their box and scream at them uh <laughs> and then they would come out and they're like little ramp down they just peck him in the face and so he'd just be bloody a lot of the time oh yeah it was awful like um I couldn't get him to leave him alone. The penguin keeper couldn't stop him. It was like no penguin divorce court or like you no. know civil cases. So they just yeah, it's cruel sometimes. But that's that's hilarious, and I shouldn't be laughing. But that's like the funniest thing I've heard. Oh no, it it was awful. Like he just he every day just be out there screaming at him and oh, poor guy. Like little penguin. Yeah, this but is the stuff you don't see in like those like feel good Reddit threads. No, no. It was, uh, I mean, hopefully he's doing better now. Women like scars, right? Oh my gosh. He's got a lot of baggage. Penguin baggage. Poor yeah. guy. <laughs> so in those five pillars, where would like animal agency fall under? Because I know like a lot of zoos, like for a long time, because like, I don't think a lot of people realize that modern zoos are truly modern. Like, you know, yeah. it used to be P.T. Barnum where you're like, you're going to do this or I'm going to cattle prod you. Yeah, uh, freedom to express natural behaviors, um, and then freedom from fear and distress. Because um, enrichment is like uh, a puzzle box for some primates with some food in it, or like novel feeding devices for some other animals. The thing is, stress is good for animals, mm -hmm. but it's when they can't overcome that stress is when it becomes an issue. So if I have, if I gave an orangutan a puzzle that it couldn't break or solve which is really difficult they're so smart and to the point where this animal is just frustrated with it and to the point that they just they're done they can't deal with it anymore they 100 percent give up that is a stressed animal we have to get that device out of there because now it is an issue for them same orangutan same yeah <laughs> yeah so like that. giving them uh giving animals something that they can like Something that is a challenge for them is good for mm -hmm. them. It's good for us, which, you know, mm -hmm. I have to remember some days because, you know, I like being comfortable. But, you know, we have to challenge them a little bit, but we have to do it in a way that they can overcome it. Like, I mean, I was, uh, last year, I was giving Gibbons fruit and vegetables in a sock. He does not <laughs> like socks. But Even sock PTSD, like, if I yeah. see another sock, so help me. <laughs> but So we'd, we'd stuff the food in the sock, but I'd always, like, put the the uh, the high value things like a grape or like more fruit in the sock like a little bit at the top but more at the bottom so it's like if you want it it's in there you know it's in there so you gotta go for it and if you don't the female really likes socks and has figured out the <laughs> magic of them and she will take all of the fruit this <laughs> so too human sometimes he you know, if he doesn't learn he's not gonna get the fruit so he has to eat more vegetables which you know not the worst thing for him but yeah. To be fair, they weren't, weren't giving him a ton of fruit because they, I mean, everyone likes carbs, but they didn't need that many. 
Okay, so I'm super curious. I know I have a lot of people who are curious about like zoos and breeding programs and pulling from the wild and not pulling from the wild. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, one of the questions, and I'm just going to kind of throw them in here. Yeah, sure. Um, asked by um, uh, Book Nerds Unite, asked, where do zoo animals come from? And I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions, especially if it's like, a, like, what's the difference between a good zoo and like, I don't know, Joe Exotic, because I'm pretty sure he's not AZA accredited. Uh, just throw that out there. <laughs> okay. So. I'll, I'm going to, I'll talk about him one time. Okay. <laughs> I hate that man. I've hated that man for decades and so you when hated that it before it was cool <laughs> yeah even in europe they hated him like we just we're just like oh my gosh like i the person i did my grad project he was like my point of contact for the zoo he actually like has emails from that guy talk telling him about stuff and it's just like oh my gosh like the, everyone hates them anyone who knows anything about animals hates them and like i was having a panic attack like 30 seconds in seeing the enclosures he was keeping them in and the way he oh, fed them oh okay but he's a bad person. Yeah, no one should ever be that close to a tiger. And I'm saying this as yeah. someone who has been close to a tiger, but there was a big metal gate in front of me. So we had an incident where one of the employees stuck their arm through the cage and a tiger tore her arm off. Zoos get their animals from basically one place. Other zoos. There are no more bringing in wild animals from a zoo into an enclosure because that just stresses the animal out. Like, mm -hmm. if I lived walking around canada just minding my own business and then i woke up in a facility and there's random people you know looking at me that's weird and stressful <laughs> and i'm not used to this situation at all so mo most of the populations of zoos are animals that were born in other facilities and either that's the facility they were born at or they get traded to other zoos and reintroduced to the population there or they start the population there with, like, they send uh, a couple from one group to another so they can spread out the genes better. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions with some zoos do rehab or random people decide, hey, they you have animals, we'll bring this random bird to you. And if they have room, they'll put them in and they can safely house them. They'll keep them if they can't release them or there's no nearby rehab center because some of these places... You know, there's not a lot of options. Mm -hmm. I, when I was at the Lincoln Children's Zoo, there was a bald eagle juvenile who could not be released back into the wild because he um, busted his wing before he, bad enough they had to amputate part of it. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't fly. So they kept him because they had a bald eagle enclosure. I mean, it's, the other option isn't fun, but that is often what happens with uh, rehabbed animals, which depress everyone. But it's something I wish more people would know. You had mentioned briefly that the AZA has the stud book and, you know, they do recommendations for like, yeah. hey, I'm going to send this red panda here or I'm going to send this tiger here and we're going to try this pairing. Yeah. Um, but you also said like there's an issue of perhaps like less genetic diversity. Is that a case where they would bring in a wild animal to just like refresh the gene pool or no? No, that's not I know they really used done. to. They used to do that, but now they're like, no, if I'm... I don't know if it's done, but you could go get some genetic material and do AI if you're desperate. But I think the main thing is we want to keep the animals that are in the wild in the wild. Mm -hmm. Keep animals that are in the zoo in the zoo. And those are for education and conservation purposes. Right. Except in some very specific situations where it's like, hey, we have this population because we're putting them back in the wild. 
And so we'll do... the California Condor was... Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's that's the uh, one I took some notes on, but... Oh, did, did you tell us about that? I think people would be really interested to hear that, and I to hear that those stories and why that's important, because I know, like, people are like, don't take it from the wild. <laughs> okay, so the AZA has uh, a program or a task force or a new initiative that they're pushing forward called uh, SAFE, Saving Animals from Extinction. And that's working on conservation uh, projects in local communities, abroad, and using the zoos and other partners to fund those. So you can go to the AZA website. They have a section for SAFE. Look that up. You can check out some cool organizations, companies. Here's some actual good stories about things they're trying to do so that aren't mm -hmm. all depressing because some of them are <laughs> working really well. Back in the good old days, uh, California had a big issue where, hey, we're going to shoot everything with lead bullets. Of course we are. And <laughs> the condors, which are these giant, majestic animals, would be like, hey, free food. And they'd eat the lead. Or they'd get something that got the pesticides on them. So they'd eat lead, get lead poisoning, die. They'd get the pesticides in them, have weak eggs. Eggs broke. Less condors. So it got to the point there were not a lot of condors left, and they're vital to the environment because not everyone's going to clean up the roadkill or anything that dies. That stuff has to go someplace. Otherwise, it's just there, and it's and gross. pestilence. Like the yeah. plague 2.0, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so the condor's really important, plus they're really cool because it's a giant bird with huge wings, and that's awesome. It is uh, awesome. So they collected up all the condors they could find, which was probably super unsettling. But they took a bunch to the San Diego Zoo and the LA Zoo, and they started breeding programs, and they made entirely new sections of the zoo so that the birds weren't seeing people. And I've seen the LA one, um, and it was basically, it's kept apart, it has sound walls up, it's they can see out over um, the park, in Griffith Park, it, but towards an area where there's not people they can see. So they just have, like, the horizon in front of them and trees, and honestly, I'd, I'd live up there, but... Um, so it's like the Condor Truman Show, but, like, not. Good morning! Morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Basically. And so anytime the, 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 you have to go any place and the bird sees you, you're wearing like a big get up where it's like your arms are covered. You have a vulture mask on. And, uh, what and, is this job? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's super fun to do in California summers. So, woo. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So they, they raise clutches of, they've raised clutches of eggs. They get up, um, up big and strong. They have them set up so they can fly around their enclosures they start re-releasing them and now we have not as many as i'd like but we have a you know we're getting there on the amount of california condors out in the wild and they're still endangered and protected but they're out there i mean uh i can't remember i think i can't remember who did it but the blackbird affair it's a similar story but i think a university mm -hmm. was involved with that too i think it was the university i can't remember correctly human rights violations aside um some countries that a lot of people have issues with including myself are doing some conservation issues and handling them pretty well but for the an awkward reason like armored leopards are gorgeous animals that i mean it's like 
a fluffier snow leopard, I guess. Just Google an Almer leopard. But some countries are funding rewilding efforts. But that's because they want to hunt them again in 200 years. Oh, so it's like the greatest game or whatever that book is. Yeah. But that's not, okay. But it's just like, maybe in 200 years they'll forget that they paid for that and they'll leave them alone. But hey, I mean, more armor leopards, I'll take that. (laughs) I remember I was reading a book called Fuzz, which if you haven't read it, it's super good, where they were talking about like how, I think it's in either, it's in an Eastern Asian country where they have like, big cat prisons where they won't put cats down but they go to the cat prison which i think is like okay you know at least they're still alive and they're well taken care of and they're completely kept out of the public eye but that is the probably the the strangest conservation project i've ever heard of is a cat prison yeah like this is better than that but they it's basically the same thing as the condors they keep them away from the public Mm -hmm. they um feed them they get them used to up to size then i haven't I wasn't able to see how they did it, but they do get them used to hunting. And then they, like, the le- leopard wakes up in the zone it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, and they keep doing that. Um, so this kind of leads into another listener question. And, you know, following into the AZA reintroduction programs, is it possible to raise an animal in a regulated environment but still be able to release them into their natural habitat? So I'm assuming, like, um, domestic-born uh, released in the wild and I, I think maybe that was answered with the california condor yes you you can do it it is difficult i mean uh was it i have a book on my shelf i think it's uh tiger tiger by arjun singh he was yeah he raised well he helped raise uh and i think it was an orphan tiger or it was just he was around and the tiger kind of like got attached to him and I do not want to ever be as close as that guy was to tigers. But he had a pretty good system of getting tigers reused to hunting um, after they've been helped taken care of by humans. And uh, tigers are actually trash hunters. They're very bad at it. <laughs> um, the average, um, it's about 1 in 20 for them to actually take something down. And that's why they... Yeah, that's why they don't... I mean, it's a cat. They sleep so much of the time uh, because hunting's dangerous. Like That's true. Yeah, like, I mean, it's generally uh, it's one tiger, maybe two in certain situations or, like, a couple of brothers or sisters when they're first going out. But it's generally a small group of them. They're not pack hunters, and they're kind of bad at it. <laughs> You learn something new every day. Man, I was yeah. like, yeah, that's top of the food chain. And then you, like, you realize you just oversized house cat that's like, meh, yeah. I'm going to sleep instead. But yeah, um. you. But it <laughs> is possible. It just takes a lot of work because, I mean, I'm a big dumb ape who buys food at the store or I use a tool to hunt. I mean, I'm not going to teach a chimp to use a tool because I've seen that movie. Um <laughs> So we know how that ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of like some of the architecture, so maybe we should let them do it. But uh, <laughs> but the it, it's a difficult thing to do, but yeah. you can do it. It just it takes time and patience, but it is not the best option <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, um, that would make sense. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it's very not cost effective either. Oh so. no, um, it it is easier to 
find another one and bring it to an area where you need it uh, from the wild. Uh, because that one already knows what to do. So, okay, so that is something I did not know. And I actually <laughs> didn't know you could do that until, like, yeah. Um, it's just real so, difficult. There you have it, Herring Soup, which, wow, thank you for making me say your username. I <laughs> you did that on purpose. One question was, uh, oftentimes you see zoos uh, that have animals that, you know, they're so far from their natural habitat, it's, it's bizarre to see, like polar bears in California. Yeah. And she wants to know, is this healthy, and how does this affect the animal? And is this something that the AZA is concerned with? Like, I'm, I'm super curious about that one. Okay. So I will say I know exactly what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. I have seen facilities where it's not great, and I know why it's not great, but I also can see why it's done. Doesn't mean I like it. Right. Uh, I've been at that San Diego Zoo many times. Not not a ton, because it's, it's kind of expensive to get in there. But they do have a, at least the last time I was there, they have polar bears. And I've every time I've been there, I have not seen big algae blooms in the water, which mm -hmm. is one of the biggest issues with these like outdoor cold water enclosures. like. Penguin exhibits, they're just like algae overnight if it's they get enough sun. It's, it's a nightmare trying to keep them clean. But indoor, you can climate control it so it's a bit better. And they do bring in snow for these animals. They bring in lots of ice for them. And they try. But it, it's not the best. Like, I'm not yeah. going to put... Like, if someone told me they were putting in a polar bear at the desert zoo out here, just like, No. Yeah. Like, it's, again, cost effectiveness, and then you're going back to the five pillars, and, you know, yeah. I guess you have to, like, weigh it against that. It's not the right environment. You, If you made a giant ice park for it that was in this <laughs> clothes, but that AC bill would be insane enough as it is. Like, even in a cold place, you got to keep the water, you have to keep the water moving, and it just becomes a nightmare. It, it's something yeah. to consider. Like, it is something a lot of AZA inspectors do look at. It's like, hey, you got this animal that is from an Arctic environment. How hot is it outside? That's that's a penalty if you cannot maintain that animal. Thankfully, San Diego has more money than... Well, I mean, they charge like 60 bucks a head to get in, so they got yeah, money. Yeah, and I'm sure the grants and everything like that. But, oh, yeah. no, I mean, so I guess that's your answer. Like, if you see an animal in a zoo and you're like, this doesn't belong here and it's also not accredited, I mean, maybe raise both eyebrows. Yeah. Also, I'll be the first one to say it. If you see, like, something bad happen, like, oh, I saw this keeper, I don't know, like, deck a monkey, report them to the ACA. <laughs> Like, or, or snitch to me and I'll go if you take a photo, but um, I got nothing yeah. going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's good to know that if anyone needs to rat out a zoo but is scared to do it, snitch man, to me. Your man. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Okay, so I guess this can follow from that. So you have animal welfare, but I know that you have a lot of thoughts on keeper welfare too. And one of the questions that I got is if there's one thing about zoo culture that you could change, what would it be? And what you see in zoos that like, if you had unlimited power, like what would you be like, this is how we are doing it and you cannot argue with me. Yeah. So I... there you go. This is your soapbox time. Okay, so management's gonna hate me. Keepers are gonna love this. Pay the staff 
more. Give them time off. Treat them like a human being. <laughs> okay, burnout in this industry is insane, especially after COVID, where it's like, okay, cool. I might, I have to lock down from my family who's locking down from the public because we don't know what animals can catch COVID. Turns oh out gosh. big cats get COVID incredibly easily. Snow leopards catch COVID, they die. There's nothing you can do as far as I, last time I checked, 100% uh, fatality. Um, most zoos, uh, there's keepers initial salary is less than an Amazon employee on their first day. So, and these are people who nowadays you have to have a bachelor's at the bare minimum. Thousands of hours of volunteer work for that is most of the time unpaid, uh, mm -hmm. far away from where you live, and doesn't provide any housing. Lincoln Children's Zoo, if you have any experience, they have a zookeeper apprentice program that gives you a housing right across the street from the zoo. Big recommend to that program. But pay zookeepers more because they're worth it. You have it's a person you're trusting with like an elephant, like keeping people happy so that they can you know survive and have less stress means they can take better care of the animals they aren't stressed about stuff outside work they can focus on their job and you keep them the burnout in this yeah. field is so much because we're having to it's knives out in there for academic positions keeper positions for any full-time payment that they have no incentive to pay keepers more. Even uh, professors of animal science, it's like, I can replace you because there's a thousand people who want your job. I mean, there's a lot of money to be made in animal stuff, not by the people who care about the animals as much. Yeah. Um, this is a selfish one, but make it so that if you touch the glass, you get shot, you know? <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I've had to clean up so many windows that there's like people's fingerprints on them. And it's just like, don't, don't do that. There's yeah. a sign, you know. Also, if you say, oh, look at the zookeeper exhibit. Um, when you, you're in there cleaning on the animals off exhibit, I feel like that person needs to be charged 20 bucks to that keeper's cash app. I mean, like how many times have you heard that joke? You're just like, har, har. I, uh, <laughs> I could, uh, you know, I could be, had a few real good meals based on that alone. So now, uh, now is kind of like your your time in in, <laughs> in this episode. Um, it's just fun questions. Um, somebody wants to know, like, what was your favorite animal to work with, and then who was the most difficult animal to work with, and like stories, friend. We need the stories. We need, we we need the dirt. Okay, okay. Some of my favorite things were whenever I'd encounter an animal, I didn't know about this one. It's just you know, childlike joy wells up, and it's like, oh, new one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Maine wolves. Didn't know they existed until I was at the LA Zoo. And I was like, a new dog? And it's like, that's Whoa. also orange? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's a lanky animal that's orange. And it just, they're, it's just like a fox on stilts. And they're, they're huge. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. I love the one we have here, even though he's stinky. But yeah. Oh, they, they're all stinky. But. <laughs> But I just, childlike joy getting to work with them. That was fantastic. Tonkin, Tonkin. It's a big goat from the Himalayans that they're just, oh, they're adorable and they're kind of friendly when we did target training. And I definitely did not rub one's nose. <laughs> never did that. Never, never once. Never. Um, <laughs> I mean, I always enjoy working with big cats because mm -hmm. every time I work with a big cat, it's like, I've seen a house cat do this exact behavior 
or in some cases the big cats are more are better behaved when we're doing training but we're also giving them big pieces of food while we do that so i mean i'll yeah. I'll, I'll show my paw if someone hands me a piece of meat you know, right whatever. like 100 bucks and let me see your hand sure hmm. yeah okay great <laughs> anytime i will say i don't like working with uh any enclosure where it's you know those like smaller enclosures they're generally in a building but it's like hey ac except yeah. in the keeper area of course <laughs> because that part is generally climate controlled to be more what the animals like which is generally more humid a little oh, warm i can smell where you're you're taking this because i know exactly the kind of enclosures you're talking about Yep. And then all of those enclosures generally have a lot of branches and are smaller ceilings. I'm six one. Um, <laughs> it's a little awkward to clean those. My knees and my back kind of scream at me, and, and it's like, oh, I'm just covered in things I don't want to think about by the time I get out of those rooms. And it's generally those, and those are often uh, primate enclosures, and yeah. uh, primates just don't like me. I don't. We don't vibe. Everyone finds yeah. that species that just does not like them. You know, now, so my husband and I, we, we talk about this all the time because obviously I like to talk about animals. And yeah. the one animal that I just don't like, I don't like monkeys. I don't yeah. like the primates. And I don't know I don't know if it's like some uncanny valley there <laughs> or whatnot, but I'm with you. I just, I just don't like them. I, I don't like them. It, it doesn't help that I've seen what the first day I was at the L.A. Zoo, a, uh, eh, no, this happened. Yeah, I can talk about it. A raccoon <laughs> fell into the chimpanzee <gasps> enclosure. Oh, no. And I thought maybe they'll be cool. Nope. Nope. Everybody kind of likes a little free meat every now and then, folks. Have you read any of, like, Jane Goodall's work on, like, chimpanzee tribal warfare? Yeah. It's horrifying! I'm yep. like, oh, gosh, we're not much more far removed from them. Oh, yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and they're real strong. And yeah. it w I don't like... Visual demonstrations were not needed. I didn't need to see that, so... Did you guys, like, have to, like, run with curtains, like, hide from the guests? Like, please don't. Like, it's... No! <laughs> it was more, we're gonna put a bunch of people on the pathways towards it and just redirect them away from it say oh they're quiet time it's quiet, it's quiet time all right for a raccoon yep. <laughs> but it was it, it was uh, a rude awakening and since then i've been very wary of primates yeah. uh, plus they're tricky and they like to steal food from them. okay so we're agreed on the primates um let's see here even wants to know i know each zoo is different but overall are they a good place for animals to be Okay, I will say most zoos are, because, like, look at it. It's a place that used to be a menagerie for rich people or lords or dignitaries from foreign states to come and deposit animals, like, hey, look at what we have. Or, like, Roman emperors had them, the emperor of China had one, a couple of European kings have had them, but they've gotten so much better in the last hundred years. I mean, hell, Bristol Zoo just closed in Europe um, I think they're making a new facility, but getting rid of these older facilities that have outdated parts of them, like, I mean, hell, some zoos used to just be concrete pits, so it's like, hey, it's just down there, we don't have to worry about it, we can throw water to get rid of the waste. But that was like, that was like turn-of-the-century stuff way back when. Now, it's a facility where this animal's food is nutritionally, like, formulated for their weight to provide optimum care for if they're old, they're pregnant, they're growing, they're sick. Vets on staff 
enrichment delivered on a set schedule for them um your entire enclosure is designed for you i mean most facilities also have started letting the animals have free access to their back areas which actually encourages them to be more active mm -hmm. because if they have like i can go back in whenever i want i just don't feel like it which some of them still don't lock them out because i mean still just good habit because mm -hmm. hey we want to make sure you do lock them out while we're cleaning the back area <laughs> yeah uh because no one likes to have like a surprise visit while you're cleaning <laughs> Like, uh, <laughs> oh gosh! So, like, I mean, imagine cleaning your house and it's like, oh, there's a bear. Yeah, that would be um, no, thank you. Yeah. Also, uh, you're in the bear's house, so you know it's a little awkward. <laughs> like, little Goldilocks. Uh, uh, you yeah. know, the other thing too. Um, I'm reading this question, realizing like most of these animals that are in these zoos are either um, breeding pairs or they're retired or injured animals. Yep. Um, so like if they were in the wild, they would have not made their, you know, their life expectancy. And if you look, um, a lot of the animals under human care oftentimes double their, their life oh, yeah. expectancy ver versus the wild. And knowing that, you know, because most of these animals aren't captured from the wild, the zoo is the only thing they know. And so it is optimal. I mean, what is it? The average lifespan for a stray dog is one, maybe two years. Wow. Mine is sleeping on the bed ten and a half in October, so. Yeah. And, and she got hit by a car before I got her, so. Wow. Yeah. She's just, she's, she's living her best life now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't have to work. Free food when she decides she's hungry. But, um. You are, like, you, you got a princess there. I have a little princess. Oh, yeah. got a little princess. It, it's the best way to, yeah. <laughs> I get free br good brain chemicals out of it, so. I know. It's perfect. It's, it's the best trade-off in human history, I yeah. will say. One last thing I want to say about, uh, that question. And I yeah. probably, zoos used to be for entertainment. They've refocused on being more about education and conservation because they found like, hey, if I tell you the left-winged aardvark is threatened, it's like, cool, what's that? No one knows what I is. I could have made up an animal like I just did. There's no left-winged aardvark. That would be that really we, there was. I mean, that we know of. Having nature someplace where people can go and see it Let's people form an emotional bond with it, become educated to its existence. I mean, I, I even said like two animals I didn't know existed till I was in my 20s and I had a bachelor's in animal science at the time. It, it's just, we keep finding things and learning about them. And if people don't know about them, they can't care. I mean, right. what was it like pangolins? I didn't know about them till I was in my 20s. They're adorable little armored balls. Who doesn't love them once they see them? Yeah. Like it, I mean, they always look like they're about to be like, I have some bad news, my lord, but, <laughs> like, oh. but they're just adorable and no one should touch them. Leave them alone. Yeah. There. I truly believe that the people who are at zoos are very mission focused on like, uh, like people need to know about the penguins and this is why. Yeah. Um, and because so. no one is doing it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> I could make more money at Amazon, but uh, I've, I've went into their facilities once, and I'm glad I didn't get the job because I hired enough people ahead of me, but I've been in more cheery slaughterhouses. And... I was going to say, like, this, like, even like the zoos from the early 1900s are probably more cheerful than an Amazon warehouse. Yeah, you at least got direct light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, the bare minimum. Like, the AZA would not accredit an Amazon warehouse. No, it, it, was, <laughs> it, it was haunting, and I... 
I don't know, I had a bit of a panic attack when I went in. I don't blame you. The entire idea of that is just absolutely crazy to me. But um, anyway, so yeah. the, the last bit, like, is there anything you want to throw in there? Like, crazy stories, funny stories, oh. like, anything you want to leave with people? Like, you're the uh, expert here. Okay, <clears throat> uh, one thing I want to say is, I, there was one question I think we, I should get out of the way. Kay. We do not... People do not often handle the animals at zoos. That is a yes. misconception. <laughs> Honestly, I can count on my hands the amount of times I've actually touched an animal while I was at the zoo. And and it was like, this is a thing we have to do for their care. Yeah. I mean, I've been in aviaries and a bird has landed on my head uh, or my shoulder or my arm while I'm working with them. And it's like, cool. I don't know if I can move you, so you just hang out. I mean, I, I was thinking about switching over to computer stuff but I, while I was at the LA Zoo, but we had to do, a, like, a foot trimming for the rhino because, uh, you know, make sure her toes are kept up and, like, there weren't any cracks on her pads or anything. And if there were, you know, clean it up, throw on some ointment. But how do you get a rhino to give you its foot? You get it to lay down. And how do you do that? We took, like, a bristle brush broom, like a big one, uh, and we just, like, started rubbing its belly with it. Oh, my goodness. She rolled over. And then we're, I'm sitting there like, okay, we're going to clean the feet. Just take the brush, take your arm, just scratch her, rub her down. Was like, and it's like, oh, crap. The getcha. Ah, oh, I want to work with animals. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I just, I feel like it's such a tragedy that I, I don't, I think it's a huge or a very small minority of people who don't like animals. I think if, like, adults recaptured, like, what you're describing, that, like, awe of animals, the world would be a totally different place. Oh, yeah. we Totally different. I, I know there's been years where it's like, I really haven't been outside or enjoy nature. But, I mean, as cities get bigger, it becomes harder. And, I mean, they, they tear up parks, put in a housing development. So, enjoy nature while you where you can get it go to the zoo touch some grass yeah, I know. it's like my favorite like it sounds like an insult but it's really not it's like please please go touch some grass it's please. it's having nature is good for everyone's mental health and plus like, if you can you can always just go and see like i want to see some penguins that's just fun you know yeah Who wants to like you know maybe get to know you better is there like a way you feel comfortable with people reaching out like your instagram or, uh, like or like or leave me alone i am a maimed wolf and i am solitary <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on instagram at dan reads dan dot reads dot it dot all or you can find me on I'm, I'm so bad at it but uh apparently science twitter is a thing science uh, uh, so, and because, hey, we don't know who these people are, but they talk, and it's fun sometimes. <laughs> but uh, it's at Daniel underscore Holland. There's a redhead or a picture of a coyote staring on a soccer ball is my profile, and I need to use that more so I can network, which is something I'm trash at. Um, uh, yeah. But those are the things you can find me on. If you find me on the street, I'll be terrified. But, yeah. Uh, happy to answer stuff. I will tell you if the pet food you're giving your animal is good or not, because I used to sell pet food. It's true. I asked him tons and tons of questions because Boomer has allergies, like his dog has allergies. <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you're feeding your dog blue buffalo, don't. Thank you so much for listening to Wild Brood's very first podcast, and a massive thank you to Dan Holland for sharing his incredible wisdom of all things animal with us today. I asked Dan what his top tips to live a sustainable life were, like 
right now? Like, what can you do right now? And he said, one, eat less meat. Two, think about better food preservation and think about how much food you're actually wasting. He also said, don't patronize irresponsible animal zoos, which after this podcast, I hope you know why. Don't buy ivory. And he says, for the love of all things holy, don't get a wolf dog. That could be an episode for another podcast, but don't do that. He also said, if you have cats, please keep them inside. He says they've been classified as an invasive species in Poland. And there's a hilarious book called Your Cat is Trying to Kill You that he highly recommends. After working with big cats, he realized that they're just little mini big cats and they will go after pretty much anything and everything. He also advised, please leave any wildlife you see alone. Wildlife needs to stay wild and says that be very careful about the wildlife centers you're taking animals to if you find them injured. And oftentimes, please just leave them alone if they are. Half the time, they're not. Again, a massive thank you to Dan Holland for sharing his knowledge with us. And thank you for joining me and Dan as we talked about all things zoos. If you have any questions or comments or want to know more about what Wild Brood does, you can find me at www.wildbrood.art. That's wildbrood.art. And if you want to support the podcast, you can go to my Etsy store and find some ridiculous animal art and know that a minimum of 20% of your purchase is going to a conservation group of the month. If you follow me on Instagram at wildbrood, you will find which conservation organization we are sponsoring for that month. Have a fantastic day and remember, go outside and